travelers is in fact God himself. And in the form of a man, while the other two we, we see and we learn from chapter 19 and verse 1, which Andy's going to deal with in a couple of weeks' time, we learn that these other two men were angels. And so, to find out what happens next as these three, three visitors prepare to leave Abraham and Sarah, let's just turn, if you would, to Genesis chapter 18, and we will read together from verse 16 to 33. If you don't have a Bible, then just listen along as I read it out. Read Genesis chapter 18, verses 16 to 33. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are fifty righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the fifty righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? And the Lord said, If I find fifty righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again, Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than fifty? Will you destroy the whole city because of five people? If I find forty-five there, he said, I will not destroy it. But once again he spoke to him, what if only forty are found there? He said, for the sake of forty, I will not do it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only thirty can be found there? He answered, I will not do it if I find thirty there. Abraham said, now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only twenty can be found there? He said, for the sake of twenty, I will not destroy it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only ten can be found there? He answered, for the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left, and Abraham returned. I think just for a moment, can we pray together and ask God's blessing on his word? Father, we just ask now as we come, as we, as we look at your word, as we discuss your word together, Father, we pray that our hearts and our minds will be open to your voice calling to us, Lord. May we just forget all the things outside, or forget all the distractions and worries of the week ahead. Let us just for this moment, this, this short time, seek your voice. May our hearts be open to you as you call to us this morning. We ask for your help in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So let's unpack what, what's happening here. In verse 17, we read that as God prepares to leave, he contemplates sharing his plan with Abraham. And this is quite significant. This shows us the type of relationship Abraham and God had at this point. God obviously felt that Abraham 
had demonstrated enough obedience and faithfulness to God, so much so that God trusted Abraham enough to share his plans with him. God sees that Abraham is a man who is just, a man who is right, who will lead this family well, as it says in verse 19. God trusted Abraham so much so that he trusted him like a friend. In the books of Isaiah and in James, Abraham is actually described as a friend of God. A friend of God. And you know, this relationship is still available for us today. This relationship as being a friend of God is still available for us today. Isn't that marvelous? Everyone can be a friend of God. How? through our Lord Jesus. You see, Jesus, when he was here on earth, said to his disciples, I no longer call you servants, but my friends. He obey me. If we trust and follow and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are classed as his friends and become friends of God. If we trust in the Lord and seek to follow him, we become God's friends. We receive an intimate relationship with God. And God shares with us his workings and his plans for us through his word and through the Holy Spirit that indwells within us as believers. And if that's a relationship you'd like to learn more about, then feel free, please come speak to me afterwards. Be a friend of God. How wonderful is that? And so God shares with his friend Abraham what he's planning to do. And in verse 1, we read that the men, as they got up to leave, looked down at Sodom. If you remember from Genesis chapter 13, Sodom was a really wicked place. Sodom was a place of great sin. The people there were sinning greatly against God. And the Bible actually speaks of the many evil acts that the, they were committing there in Sodom. And they, they varied from, from immoral sexual practice to, to inhospi- inhospitability to, to social injustice. And Andy's going to cover that in Genesis chapter 19 in a bit more detail. But in verse 20 and 21, God says that he was going to visit Sodom. He was going to go down and visit them. With the intention, it seems, of judging what they were doing. And to punish them for their sin. You see, our God is a righteous God. Righteous means morally right and good. And we could also say God is a holy God. God is set apart. God is different from everything that is not God. He is set apart, he is holy, he is different. And God hates sin because sin is what separates us from him. Sin is what keeps us in being in an intimate relationship with him. From being a friend of God. That's what separates us, it's sin. And holiness and sin, they're in opposition to one another. They can't be together. And God must judge sin because God is a just God. And so God here is totally actually in his right to judge Sodom for its sin as he sees his creation in sin and him as the creator, he is completely right and just to go and judge that sin. You know, actually, God would be totally right if he were to decide to judge and destroy us right now too. He would be just to do that. Because we are no better than the people that were there in Sodom. We are sinful. We disobey God's laws. We get things wrong. But God has chosen to be merciful to us. 
Not giving us what we deserve. Not giving us that punishment for sin. And how has he done that? He's done that through the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus came and died on the cross to show us the mercy of God. To allow us to have a relationship with God again by removing our sins. And if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, he's taken our sins away. He's taken our punishment for the sins that we've done on himself on the cross. And then we can, through our lives, become like Jesus. Become holy, become more like God and the character of God. And he does that through the Holy Spirit that when we become Christians, indwells in our lives and seeks to change us inside. And as the Holy Spirit works inside of us, we should start to see sin as something that offends us. We should start to see sin as God sees sin, as an offense. Unlike the world that seeks to, to advertise sin as good and satisfying and lift it up and advertise it and be excited about it, we are to see through these lies. We are to see through the fact that a life pleasing to God is the only way to, to feel true satisfaction here on earth. Can I challenge us this morning? When we see sin all around us, does it upset us? Does it upset us? when we look at our workplaces and our schools and our universities or wherever we are, does it sadden us as we see people enjoying lives of sin? Not knowing that a life of sin leads to an eternity away from God. Does it sadden us? Does it upset us? If we look at ourselves, when we see uh, sexual content on the screen or hear music with bad or immoral language, do we turn it off or look away in offense? Or are we not so bothered? When we hear a, a crude or offensive joke, do we condone such behavior or do we just, with everybody else around, laugh a lot? When we hear gossip within the church or outside the church and hear people talking behind each other's backs, is our instinct to stop these conversations? Does sin offend us? You know, we as Christians, are to be set apart, we're to be different from the world. The Bible actually says that we're meant to be salt within the world, in a world that is without flavor. We are to be the salt, the flavor of God in the world. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 to 17, it says this, Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from the world. James chapter 4 even takes it further. He says, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? An enemy of God. So I just want to ask this simple question to us this morning. Does sin excite us or offend us? like it offends God? Does sin excite us or offend us? Let's return to the passage here. In verse 22, the two angels actually leave. They head down towards Sodom and Abraham is now given an opportunity to respond to what God has shared with him. And it seems that Abraham here, for the rest of the chapter, begins to question God, doesn't he? He begins to question God, his friend, about this judgment on Sodom. Now we know that Abraham 
um, his, his nephew Lot, we know this from Genesis chapter 14, Lot, his nephew, and their family were actually living in Sodom at the time. And Abraham probably also assumed that there are other innocent and good people in Sodom. And Abraham rightly believes that the righteous and good people of Sodom should not be judged and punished for the wrongs of the wicked people of Sodom. And so Abraham now approaches God. God gives him an opportunity to, to, to react to what God has shared with him. And Abraham approaches God with his plea. And let's notice how Abraham speaks with God. Abraham does it with respect and humility. He recognizes to whom he is speaking to. Throughout the conversation, Abraham uses phrases of humility, doesn't he? Look at verse 27, he says, Now that I have been so bold to speak to the Lord, he recognizes his boldness, though I am nothing but dust and ashes. He recognizes his difference between him, a creature, and God, the Creator. He recognizes this is God of all the earth he's speaking to. There's an aspect of worship about there, isn't there? And notice as well how Abraham bases his appeal. He bases his appeal to God based on God's own gracious and righteous character. Let's read verse 23 to 25 together for a moment. Verse 23. Then Abraham approached him, that's God, and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? Abraham's actually exalting God here, isn't he? By speaking of God's righteousness and justice. He knows God. He knows God's character. And so he exalts God here, actually, within these, these questions. And we mentioned, actually, didn't we, uh, a little earlier, our God is a good and righteous God. And we learn through this conversation that God will actually spare the city if only ten righteous or good people are found within it. Our God's a God of mercy. But sometimes, if we're honest, aren't we, we, we don't understand God's dealings sometimes. We struggle to see how he shows his truth and his rightness. And I want to encourage you this morning, if we're questioning right now something that God is doing or has done recently, or might have done a couple of years ago, if you're questioning that, the first thing I want to do to encourage you this morning is, we can tell him. We can tell him. Abraham wasn't afraid here, was he, to outline his confusion and his concerns. Abraham's actually clearly quite authentic here. He's real with God in this passage. He's not afraid to be plain and open with how he's feeling. And neither should we. There are plenty of examples in the Bible of, of people who spoke to God as it is, as they were feeling. There was a, a, a prophet in the Old Testament uh, called, called, called Habakkuk and he, he once said this to God, How long, Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Or cry out to you violence, but you do not say. He's being clearly authentic there, isn't he? He's showing his frustration at God. And there are many other characters in the Bible. We think of Job, we think of King David, and we think of Abraham here who are honest with God about what they were feeling. We take it a bit step further. 
we think of the Lord Jesus. who cried out in pain at the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even Jesus was not afraid to be authentic with the Father, with God the Father, and neither should we. God wants us to be honest and true with him. If we just communicate with God on things we understand, and, but ignore the concerns and worries we have in our lives, and we don't tell God about them, then we aren't really being honest in our prayers, are we? We aren't really being genuine. We mentioned earlier how Jesus has actually brought us into an intimate relationship with God. The Lord Jesus actually came so we could call God our Father. Our Father. Galatians chapter 4 says this, And because we are His children, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own children. Because of Jesus, we can call God the Father, our Father. Now, of course, this does mean that we approach God like Abraham does here, with respect and awe, in thankfulness and in worship. He is our creator, and we are his creatures. We should approach him with respect. And as we do that, he will respect us. But when we pray to him, we need to be ourselves. We shouldn't be concerned about uh, using our, 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 what our language is like, or using our big church or Christian words. We should be authentic in our language when we speak to God. And we should be aware, I think, and I suffer, I suffer with this quite often, actually. We should be aware that our motive when we pray as a group is not to impress others with our language by using lots of phrases of scripture or using long, long prayers with eloquent language and words. If our motive for that is to impress those around us, then we've missed the point of what prayer's about. We need to be authentic. We need to be real with God in our language. And part of being real is communicating the things in our lives we don't understand. Ephesians chapter 3 says, In Jesus, and through faith in Jesus, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Confidence we can approach God. We don't need to shy away from God's presence anymore because of the Lord Jesus. We can come boldly, which Abraham does here, doesn't he? He comes quite boldly here. The things that Abraham says are, are quite out there. They're big and bold. And Abraham is not afraid to ask God to set the record straight here. And there are plenty of examples of, of people in the Bible who prayed and said bold things. And we should not be afraid to pray big prayers to our big God if we truly be, believe He is the God we said He is. We as His friends and children can approach God and ask for the miraculous because our God is a God of miracles. If we believe he will answer and have faith that he can do what we pray, then praying big should be the result. Ephesians chapter 3 again, verse 20 says this, Now to him who is able to do is exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. Our God can do above what we can even imagine. So can I ask the question this morning, 
Is there something that we've stopped praying about? Or someone, a family member, a school friend, or a work colleague we've stopped praying for? Is there a dream or a vision that you feel God has given you for the church or for your own life, but for the moment we've stopped praying about it? Is there a ministry that you've been praying about getting involved in or starting within the church, but of late you put it to the back of your mind? As a church, are we just praying for one or two to be saved? Or for this whole community of Gospels to receive the Lord Jesus? Further than that, the whole county of Northumberland to receive the Lord Jesus and be transformed by the Lord Jesus. What have we stopped praying for? Have we started praying too little? You know, there was once a, a Scottish minister and theologian, he, his name was John Knox. And he used to pray, this used to be his prayer, Oh God, give me Scotland or I die. Give me Scotland or I die. That used to be his prayer. And eventually, by God's grace, he led a reformation of the church to change the nation of Scotland forever. And he was a man who committed his life so much to prayer that his preaching became so passionate, so powerful, that the leader of the time, Mary Queen of Scots, said this of John Knox, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than all the assembled armies of you. I fear the prayers of John Knox more than all the assembled armies of you. Wouldn't it be amazing if in 50 or 100 years' time people could say the prayers of Regent Chapel Christian Fellowship changed Northumberland forever. Changed the nation of England forever. Changed the United Kingdom forever. But even the evil one himself feared our prayers. This starts with us. This starts where we must be people of prayer. Let's not limit our God. If we aren't praying bold prayers, we won't see bold things from God. You know, I have a friend back home in Wales and he was preaching on New Year's Day a couple of years ago, and he said this, if we want to see change, we have to be praying so much more than we were praying the previous year. Without prayer, this church doesn't function. Without prayer, the church doesn't move. Without prayer, the church doesn't grow. And it's not just the job of the elders or the leaders to pray, it's the job of all of us to pray. How can we expect God to work if we don't communicate and spend time with Him? How can we then expect God to work? And God doesn't just want us to pray boldly, but persistently. Abraham clearly is not afraid here, is he, to continue to get answers from God. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 it says, Paul says that it's actually God's will for our lives that we pray continually. 
God's will that we continue to communicate and pray to Him. When we pray for something persistently, we show God that we are serious about our prayer requests. Now this passage, I've got to say, this passage is not a complete template for us on prayer. There's, the Bible has so much more to teach us about prayer, but, but this passage does give us useful advice on how we should pray. And notice God's response here, isn't it? Uh, it God's response here in this chapter, he does not react harshly at all, does he? He doesn't strike Abraham down. God listens and he answers. He's open to Abraham's persistent question. And God answers, reassures Abraham that God is the just God he has come to know. I think God actually delighted to see the faith of his friend Abraham. To see the trust Abraham puts in God that he felt comfortable enough to pray such a big and bold prayer. You see, God delights in intimacy with his children. So as we, we turn to a close and as we reflect this morning, can I challenge us to examine our lives? Are our lives characterized by prayer? Think for a moment, when was the last time we prayed to God reverently, sincerely, authentically, and boldly? Are we being genuine and honest with God? Are we laying before Him our concerns and confusion? The things that we don't understand that He's doing. God longs for us to be intimate with Him. Are our prayers bold and persistent? Have we given up on something or someone because we don't think God can answer such a prayer? Have we limited God in our prayers? We can't expect God to work if we aren't working and striving and pleading in prayer. We can't expect Him to. Let's be people of prayer this morning. Would you pray with me? Disturb us, Lord. When we are too pleased with ourselves and our dreams have come true because we dreamed too little, when we arrived safely because we sailed too close to the shore. Disturb us, Lord, when with the abundance of things we possess, we have lost our thirst for the waters of life. Having fallen in love with life, we have ceased to dream of eternity. And in our efforts to build a new earth, we have allowed our vision of the new heaven to dim. Disturb us, Lord, to dare more boldly, to venture on wilder sea, where storms will show your mastery, where losing sight of land we shall find the star. We ask you to push back the horizons of our hopes and to push back the future in strength, courage, hope, and love. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and for his glory. Amen. There's a song I'd like us to listen to and when finished the service will be over the song actually speaks of this new relationship we have with God how we can boldly enter into God's presence because of the Lord Jesus and as we listen to the words may we just reflect 
on these thoughts that we've discussed this morning as we listen and as we worship. Thank you. By grace alone, somehow I stand to tread Invited by redeeming love Before the throne of God above He flows and he flows with nail-scarred hands Into his everlasting arms Grips my heart And Satan tempts me to despair I hear the voice that scatters fear Oh, the great I am, the Lord is here Oh, praise the one who fights for me and shields my soul